0: Heavenly Father, gracious God, thank you for the miracle of this new day and for the gift of scripture and the gift of community and Zoom uh, by which we get to study your word. We pray that we would emerge from our conversation today with more wisdom and commitment. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish, but we speak God's wisdom secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Those who are spiritual discern all things, and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny. For who is known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ.
0: All right, and thus ends um, chapter two. You might have noticed in my prayer that my request that we would leave this study, uh, not with more knowledge, but rather with more wisdom and more commitment, Um, because one of the themes of 1 Corinthians is that knowledge puffs up, Uh, But love builds up um, that the wisdom of the world is folly, but that the wisdom of God is different. And here Paul is really trying to get the Christians in Corinth to grasp that knowledge and power as the world sees them are not the overarching goals of the Christian life, that we are optimizing for something else. And so he begins by reminding them how he came to them. And and he addresses the Corinthians as brothers and sisters. And, you know, I do want you to pay attention to that word sisters, because often Paul gets a bad rap um, for not caring about women, yada, yada, yada. But that simply is not true. Um, In Galatians, he says something as radical as in Christ, there is no male or female, but those distinctions with their power differentiation is drowned in the waters of baptism. Uh, And so he is addressing men and women here in this this community, which I think is pretty remarkable and uh, I think very neat. Um, And he says that when he came among them, uh, he did not proclaim the mystery of God in lofty words of wisdom, uh, but rather that he came in weakness. And so Basically, to come to a community without a lot of wisdom and without a lot of strength is basically to say, I came to you the exact opposite of how every other teacher in this world postures himself, right? Because, you know, if you're a teacher with the following, you want to pretend to be wise and you want to pretend to be strong and you want to pretend to be charismatic. And basically what Paul says is, That's not the power behind my presence. That's not the power behind the church, that the power behind the church is nothing other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he says, I decided to know nothing among you except this. Basically, whatever else there is to Christianity, we didn't really even talk about it. The only thing that we focused on was Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in verse six, he'll say, Yet among the mature, we, the mature we do speak wisdom, and so Paul will concede that there is such a thing as Christian wisdom over and above the cross. Um, and you know the the author of Hebrews, for instance, will agree with this. He'll even write to his community that you know by this time you ought to be teachers in the Christian way, but that you need to return to the elementary truths of God's word all over again. He tells the people um, in Hebrews that you need milk and not solid food. And so in the Christian life, there is all sorts of things to learn. There is something other than Jesus Christ and him crucified to learn about, right? Paul says that, Hebrews says that, but Paul basically says, I decided to talk about nothing but this one thing. And so the question is why? Why would Paul focus only on that? And one of the things that we know um, from context is that A, there were other preachers who were coming into Corinth. Um, Paul makes fun of them. He calls them super apostles. We don't get to them until I think 2nd Corinthians, but there were teachers who taught that we could be strong and that we could be wise and you know, gave people lots of tips and tricks to better themselves. But we also know that in Greek society philosophy was all the rage. And, you know, anyone um, who uh, knew anything about conversation knew something about philosophy. They didn't talk about sports. They didn't talk about politics. They didn't talk about the Super Bowl. They talked about Plato and Aristotle and Plotinus and all kinds of other Stoic and Epicurean philosophy. So in Acts 17, when uh, Paul is preaching in Athens, the author of Acts tells us that the Athenians and the strangers visiting used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So basically, what did the people talk about? They talked about the flavor of the day with respect to philosophy. Everyone loved new philosophy. And Corinth was at the very center of that intellectual movement. And So what Paul doesn't want to happen is he doesn't want his gospel to be mixed in or cheapened by this rotating uh, assortment of different philosophies that people talked about. Because Paul isn't here um, pushing or peddling a philosophy, but rather a truth about who God is and how God has entered this world. And so Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the reason Paul continues to speak about this, if y'all remember our conversation last week, the uh, symptoms in the community are divisions, right? Some say I belong to Apollo. Some say I belong to Paul. Some say I belong to Cephas, right? Those are the symptoms. But the problem is that they don't get who God is right? They have missed that God came among us, not in strength, but rather in weakness. And Paul says, I came to you like that. I came in weakness. In other words, I came in full dependence on God. That's what it means to come in weakness. I came relying not on my strength, but God's strength. I came to you completely vulnerable the way that Jesus came before us completely vulnerable. But The irony of it all is that whenever we come to each other in weakness or vulnerability, that then reveals the true nature of power, right? We see this on the cross where in his weakest moment, uh, where he stands before Pilate, taunted, mocked, shamed with a crown of thorns around his head, right? Completely weak that Christ the King is actually displaying his true power, And Paul is saying something similar about his ministry that I came before you very vulnerable, but that is what actually allowed me to be a vessel uh, through whom the spirit worked, right? He says, I came with a demonstration of the spirit and a demonstration of power. And so that's a paradox. I came to you in weakness, but you saw a lot of power in me. And that's worth thinking about for all of us, um, because... You know, I mean, I think that we can all picture somebody who is very arrogant, yet deeply insecure. I mean, one of the ways that we compensate for our insecurity is to pretend to be very mighty and powerful. But anyone with eyes to see can see right through it. Meanwhile, my guess is that you can all think of people who don't present as being very cocky or arrogant or concerned with fame and reputation, yet there's a tremendous power to their presence. And what Paul is saying is, I am a vessel through whom the Spirit works, and there is a power at work in the church, and there's a power at work in my life, but in order for that power to operate, I've got to get out of the way. Uh, In verse six, he says that, even though I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom. It's just not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. And Paul does say that the rulers of this age are doomed to perish. Uh, That's good news, not bad news. Um, Now, don't think of a politician you don't like and say, thank God that guy or gal is going to perish, but rather think of the powers and principalities that Paul speaks of in Ephesians. Basically the ruler here is a cosmic force. And so however you envision that, whether you personalize this uh, in the form of um, Satan or fallen angels, or whether you just think of the spirit of greed and hate that often fills our systems and leads to the oppression and overlooking of particular individuals, whatever it is, you know, however you define the rulers of this age, by definition, the rulers of this age are the exact opposite of the servant king who inaugurates the new age, right? Because remember in 1 Corinthians, you know, there are two ages that are overlapping. There is the age to come and the present age, and in the same way that there is a time of day when... um, The sun is coming up, but there's still some darkness at the same time. There is light, but that light has not fully expelled the darkness, right? Think about 30 minutes before the sun comes up. Um, That's what time it is in world history for Paul. The two ages are overlapping, and the new age is on its way, but there is still darkness. So whenever Paul says that the rulers of this age are doomed to perish— It's just a way of saying the darkness will eventually be cast out once and for all. Uh, And so there is wisdom to Christianity. There is wisdom beyond the message of the cross. But the reason we often return to the cross is because we leave it behind. And so uh, I think there is permission and even encouragement for us to learn about Christian wisdom you know, how God wants us to live, uh, practices of prayer, things that we might even share with other world faiths. We just don't want to forget that Christian wisdom is built on the foundation of the cross. And then in verse 10, Paul introduces uh, to us the spirit. Um, The spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. In verse 11, Paul calls this the spirit of God. Um, You know, for those of you who are wondering about the doctrine of the Trinity, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, is it true, as I heard about on PBS, that this doctrine was invented by the Emperor Constantine at the Council of Nicaea as a political maneuver to control the empire? Uh, absolutely not um, now a lot was of course worked out at that council but um you know in this chapter alone we've got God the Father we've got God the Spirit we've got the crucified Christ and Paul will even use the Trinitarian formula in I think second Corinthians the Father Son and Holy Spirit um and so uh, I just want to point that out because it's actually quite amazing that here we have, Father, Son, and Spirit all doing work in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and Paul just takes it for granted that these three actors are all in unison working together. But uh, I think it's worth reflecting on the role of the Spirit in our life. Uh, Paul writes a lot more about the Spirit in Romans chapter 8, talks about how the Spirit waits with eager longing for God's children to be revealed, talks about how uh, we don't even know how to pray as we ought to pray, but rather the the spirit helps us in our weakness. Again, that idea of weakness and the spirit partnering together are found in his letter to the Romans. And so it's actually quite remarkable that, you know, we have these letters of the apostle Paul that have survived, and there is this incredible coherence of thought that, uh points to a christian orthodoxy that was present from the very beginning um and so um here though paul is basically saying that uh we got the holy spirit that the holy spirit has been given to us in verse 16 that spirit is what enables us to have the mind of christ um And later on in the Corinthians correspondence, he will say, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And so the spirit is going to be really, really important for Paul, and it's going to be tied to this idea of Christ crucified, and it's going to be tied to this paradox whereby power uh, is experienced in weakness because whenever we make ourselves weak, whenever we get out of the way, it is the spirit that flows through us um, and does powerful things. And and again, you know, Paul says this in verse four. He says we came with a demonstration of the spirit, and so we're going to have to put all these pieces together, but the spirit is central to Paul's understanding of the Christian life. Uh, We're not supposed to be doing things on our own. You know, uh, we're not supposed to be sharpening our toolkit and our uh, frontal neocortex so that we can plan how to use our tools to fix the world. Uh, In a sense, we're supposed to be opening ourselves up to the Spirit and figuring out how to get out of the way so the Spirit can uh, flow through us in appropriate ways. And um, this experience of the Spirit uh, moving through us is tied to the the mind of Christ. Um, you might recall last week, Paul says that we are to be of one mind, that we are not to have divisions amongst ourselves. And So now Paul tells us what that means, right? To be of one mind has nothing to do with uniformity of perspective. Because, you know, the Corinthians disagreed on all kinds of things. Some of them ate meat offered to idols. Some of them didn't. That's not the point. The point of the mind of Christ is that we serve one another amidst our difference, right? Because there's lots of difference in the Corinthian community. And so the mind of Christ is not that we agree on issues, but rather that we agree on a quality of love and service and unity in the midst of all of our difference. And so as we go into conversation, just some things to think about, Um, you know, Paul says he came to the Corinthians in a state of weakness. What does this mean for our life? Um, What does it mean for you? to come before someone else in a state of weakness. What does that mean? And what does it not mean, right? Because there are things that that doesn't mean Uh, because weakness for Paul is Christian power. So what does that mean practically speaking? I'm also curious to know whether or not we should only have one message as a church, the message of the cross, or whether you see the Christian message as being much more holistic, that that's the foundation but that we really need to build on it uh, as a community. Um, uh, That was the perspective of whoever wrote Hebrews, right? Whenever he says, um, you're not ready for solid food, you still need the milk. You know, one would argue that the meat and potatoes, the milk of the faith is the cross. Is that the only thing we need to be teaching or should we be building upon that? What's your understanding? Um, And then Paul talks about, Uh, there are spiritual people and unspiritual people. A lot of people in our world um, like to say that they're spiritual. Um, You know, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I'm, I'm a real spiritual person. But what exactly does that mean? You know, for Paul, it meant being filled with the spirit. But what do those terms mean to you? And then Paul talks about discernment. He says that spiritual people can discern all things because, you know, we don't have a commandment for every, Moral predicament we'll ever face. I mean, you don't really need to do much discernment around whether or not to murder or commit adultery. All right. Those are in the top 10. They're written on stone tablets. We don't need to discern. But there are many places where the Bible is silent on purpose because we have something better than the Bible. We have the spirit and we have community. But that means discerning what is appropriate, what's not. So I'm just curious what you believe we as Christians need to be discerning.